normal tradition has been whenever we have a guest on the show I'm going to go ahead and introduce the guests in our earlier seasons I'd go ahead and do this whole big like put together this whole big paragraph about the person and and blow them up as much as I can but I think tonight it's going to be a bit more fitting if someone else does the intro all right and, uh, Brian go uh, on Joey you do it Brian I think (laughs) for reasons that will become obvious very shortly I think it's going to make sense for Brian to introduce our wonderful guest tonight I certainly will so like I'm sure everybody knows that we tend to have guests on every two or three episodes and it's mainly in a it's an exercise for us to learn and connect as well and sort of gain new skills and it suddenly came to me I'm like why are we only looking within woodworking and making like why don't we actually try to look at some business development opportunities i'm like who could who could we possibly get on the show <laughs> that could give us some if advice you about that person <laughs> marketing or strategy or advertising or just something to help us with our businesses i'm like lanny what are you doing on tuesday night <laughs> so everyone this is my wife lanny strategic Hello. marketer extraordinaire um i'll let you give the spiel but yeah just a brief spiel of, of what you do. Okay. That's Brian saying I'm not prepared with that and don't really know what she does, but she can introduce herself. <laughs> <laughs> I've never hey, quite figured it out, so this is the moment where it all makes sense. <laughs> um, that was a great introduction. Thanks, babe. Um, okay. So I have worked in the creative advertising industry for about 17 years or more now. Um, and I currently hold a role as head of strategy and research. So I head up two teams at a creative agency at the moment. So I've worked in um, both creative agencies, so what we typically call advertising, as well as um, marketing, so what we call client side, uh, heading up the marketing at a business school, as well as uh, media strategy for a few years. So yeah, I'm a creative strategist at heart. And what that means is that I help clients to figure out what their objectives are, what they're trying to do, who, who they're talking to, what they should be therefore saying. And then I work with creative teams to figure out some really cool ways of saying it. So that's me in a nutshell. And I guess from, a, from the perspective of the listeners, a lot of them are either in the woodworking business or looking to get into the woodworking business. And this is a, is a really interesting topic because people need to know how this all works. Um, and this usually costs a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get the questions in, or at least ask the right questions. Um, and, and maybe that's that's a, a good place to start. Um, Brian, do you feel like you've been able to <clears throat> lean on Lani for ad- advice and guidance with your own business? Yeah, definitely. Especially when I first started and was applying for business grants. Um, the one that switched me from being a part-time business to a full-time business. I remember this was the city of Melbourne application process and I remember being completely overwhelmed by it. I'm like, well, I just want to make furniture. And Lani's like, no, you need the, you know, you need your target market. You need your price points. You need to work out this whole story that sells your brand, not just as a business, but it needs, it needs to be connected together. The storytelling, the brand, the designs, um, yeah. Like, I have an overarching theme to it. And, yeah, it really... Well, I wouldn't have got the grant without without her help in it. But, um, yeah, it's just always good to revisit at times. And we'll disagree on certain things, like, you know, like any married couple do. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
overall, it's an amazing resource to have at home because, like I said, you know, most small businesses, whether they're creative businesses or what, you don't have the money to spend to hire somebody like Lanny. So I just figured it would be really, it would be useful for a lot of professionals out there to to sort of hear how she thinks mm. woodworking businesses and design businesses should market themselves. And well, yeah. So. How do we get started? What is the? Um, <laughs> I guess maybe I see you've got a pen and you've got a pen and paper for the first time notes. ever in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've got loads to talk about. You don't even need to ask me questions. Well, it's fine. <laughs> I wonder. It might be an interesting perspective. Um, how? What is the number one mistake that you see people coming um, in your industry? That people obviously come to a marketing agency thinking they have an idea and a point of view and typically what I think uh, I've found is that your point of view is not actually correct once you start answering the questions that you need answered and so what what's the biggest kind of mistake people have when they come into it the idea of yeah that is a great question Joey um and probably the biggest thing that I see is just not knowing what they're trying to do Mm. so um objectives and to be honest with you, probably nine times out of 10 clients don't have objectives or they think they do, but they're not really relevant. Um, and ultimately, in order to be successful, you need to know what you're working towards for anyone in whatever they're doing. Even as an employee, you need some goals to work towards. But as a business, I think objectives are really important. Um, and Brian and I were having a great debate about this the other night when he asked me to be on the podcast and I was sort of explaining business objectives and then how marketing objectives work to help with business objectives and then how communications objectives help with marketing objectives. So what that means is business is all about growth and usually money or profit and then marketing is kind of how you're going to get there. So it might be I'm going to sell X amount of um, chairs or X amount of tables. Like it's quite hard in a bespoke business to do Mm. that um, in order to get that growth over the next few years and then in comms what do you need to tell people so when I say comms sorry communications what do I need to tell people in order to sell those chairs so you have kind of a few different objectives but ultimately they need to be smart and what I mean by smart is specific it stands it sort of spells out smart but it means specific measurable attainable realistic and timely so making sure that they're really specific goals but also have time allocated to it so I want to make this amount of profit by um, financial year 23 or something like that. And then you think about what you actually need to do to, to get there and you kind of part, sort of form a path for yourself to do that. So yeah, objectives are probably the biggest mistake, but I think uh, the second biggest thing that a lot of clients don't think about is what's the one thing they're trying to say? What's their single-minded message, as we call it, in the industry? Um, and that's quite often something they look to us and say, I don't know, like, you, can you tell me? Because I really want to tell them these 10 things. Um, and we're like, well, you can't really tell them 10 things. You need to tell them one. And I'm specifically talking about creating, like, a TV ad or something like that. Um, and obviously it changes depending on the medium. But I think ultimately it's just, you know, what what are you actually trying to say? And then the third and final mistake, gosh, there's a lot of them, sorry, um, is, is not... <laughs> is knowing your audience so knowing who you're actually talking to and really understanding them is really really important so and I don't just mean from a demographic perspective and thinking about well we're going to target you know 
middle-aged, um, wealthy people, yada, yada, yada. It's more about, well, what are they actually thinking? What are their attitudes? What do they believe in? What are they feeling? What do they value? Because ultimately at the moment, um, particularly after the pandemic and even more so than before, that um, brands that align their values to their clients or their audience's values are much, much more successful than those that don't. Um, and I can go on and on and on about that. Mm. So, yeah. So, do you want me to keep going? Yeah, I've got <laughs> a follow up. Keep talking. <laughs> How? Okay, great. I've been asked this question, and it stumped me the first time, and I had to seriously go away and just like really work out the answer to this. And so, how do you go about knowing if you don't know? who your target market is if you for example are just selling chairs online and you have one good chair that sells and you sell 10 a week um and you want to sell 100 a week how do you know how who they're going to and so how do you know how to market to so yeah great question so there's a couple of ways you can find out i'd say if you're doing it online only you can look at google analytics from a demographic perspective it's not super accurate but it's helpful i suppose as a first start um, other than that, you can ask them questions. So I would potentially start to think about following up a purchase with a survey um, and you can call it a satisfaction survey or whatever you like. Um, but you can start to kind of follow up those types of things and try and make a connection with your customers. The other option is to get them to sign up to some kind of newsletter or ongoing communications with you as well. And that would probably be my, my recommended approach because then it means that you've almost got free marketing for ongoing sales um, you build a database of people and clients that you can then connect with constantly and you'll get to build a story around them it's a bit tricky when you are selling online because you don't always have the data that you need a lot of uh, bigger companies tend to have a lot of data in place so that they can get a really good picture but obviously that's not always available to small smaller you know furniture makers and the like so i would say um the more you can talk to your customers, the better, and find out how they found you, why they found you, was it through word of mouth, what, why were they interested in you, and just ask some questions. Um, and I say that to Brian all the time. I think it's really important to just um, understand who they are and why they're communicating with you, where they found you, those types of things, and start to kind of build a picture that way. Yeah, I think um, at first a lot of... Um, I think you feel quite nervous asking like you're interrogating the client like where, <laughs> we're all nodding yeah, <laughs> yeah. where did you where did you find my phone number it should have been secret you know <laughs> and um it's it seemed and because that's what you do straight away you're just like oh how did you find that about me and the client tends to give you a, a three or four word sentence and and that's it uh, but you actually want to mm. dive a bit deeper and so having some form of you know a newsletter or a, a form afterwards satisfaction form that's probably not the right term but yeah something like mm. that where you, you can get a bit more of a um i've found getting testimonials from clients a really good way to actually see what they think about your work as well for a start if they're willing to give you a testimonial then they're obviously happy but then they often go into quite specific details about what they, they were impressed with and it's kind of good take home advice from that but you're, also, yeah, that's so you're great. also building your community in that sense as well because you're saying to them i value you so much that i want to know what you think about my work so it's sort of that definitely double double whammy 
Yeah, and there's, I guess there's also the other flip of the coin where if you're starting a new business and you have no idea because you've never sold products before or you just don't know, I think there's also planning and trying to understand who you could be targeting. So, um, you know, the business plan that Brian mentioned earlier, he had to guess who his audience was because he hadn't really sold a huge mm. amount of furniture before. So I think you you do that by looking at your values as a, as a business or as an individual business owner um, as well as kind of the products that you're making and who you think they're going to be suiting so think about your price range think about um, the type of things that you're making so for example if it's bespoke furniture then you're potentially targeting a slightly more creative uh, client or a slightly more um, engaged client who is willing to take the time to to kind of go along that design process with you so there's kind of things like that that you can think about as well even before you've sold anything i remember one thing that you said to me was uh identify the people that you want to be in in competition with or the people that you sort of see your business uh aligning with yeah was one really important thing seeing who they target whether they use paid adverts or i don't know Mm. The kind of exhibitions and trade shows or if they stock in retail, the types of places that they stock at, if you can identify what their price point is based on how many years they've been in business as well and things like that. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. Um, So you think about where, for a terrible example, but you think about where McDonald's are located, there's always a KFC down the road or, you know, they're always located really closely together and that's because they know their market really well and they know that each other knows the market so quite often they just copy each other right. and um in when it comes to i think that's a great point around competitors so i know in the furniture industry particularly in australia it's a really nice community though mm. and so I, I feel like using the term competitors feels really odd because <laughs> it just doesn't feel right um and and potentially new zealand and overseas as well sorry joey <laughs> leaving you out um but yeah I, I just feel like it's such a tight-knit community here that competitors isn't the right thing but it's just aligning yourself maybe with other maybe brands. businesses you'd like to emulate yeah, yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have to be furniture. It can be um, any brand or any kind of uh, anyone that you look up to that you can sort of emulate. And obviously, if it's furniture, great. And it could be overseas, it can be in Australia. But whenever we do strategy pieces for creative messaging, we always look at audience, we look at competitors, and we look at positioning uh, alongside competitors. So um, how are you positioning yourself? amongst a bunch of competitors. So even if you don't want to call them competitors, but you think about mapping out a bunch of different furniture makers uh, across um, even the world and think about, all right, well, where do I want to position myself compared to these guys? What's my point of difference? Mm. What am I selling that's interesting, that's going to make people stop and look at me as opposed to anyone else so um you know are you going to be a specialist are you going to be a generalist are you going to do bespoke are you just going to sell off the shelf i think um that's one thing but then you know positioning in terms of i want to position myself as um the greenest furniture maker in the world or in australia or in new zealand i want to position myself as the most um i don't know the best design process furniture or you know there's what is it about you that's different and interesting i think is really important as part of that process do you think it's really important to again i've had this advice and have not been able to 
follow it. Um, always being told that you should find your niche and you should market that niche and that's what you're going to be good at. I'm um, so glad you touched on this, Joey, because this was one of my questions as well. I cannot. Yeah, we had this conversation. <laughs> I cannot do it. I am, I because it's too boring for me. So I will take on all these crazy jobs, and and it's complete havoc for marketing. Whenever I talk to someone to do a website SEO or anything like that, they're just like, "Oh my god, you need to pick a thing." I no, I'm not picking a thing. I do all these things, um, and so is it that my niche is that I do everything, or Am I just like back in the trend and you don't really care about it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you have to find a niche. I think entrepreneurs don't find a niche. They're constantly evolving. They're constantly developing new products or systems or thinking and ways of thinking. So I completely disagree that you need to find a niche. I think um, one example of how I can explain this. So I actually was telling Brian about this the other day as well is most companies know what they do. Um, most companies know how they do it, but not many know why they do it. And what I'm referring to, if any of you have ever seen or any of your listeners have ever seen or heard of Simon Sinek's Golden Circle, I think it was in 2008 or 2009 or something, it was years ago that he presented it and it changed the way businesses thought about themselves and they marketed themselves. And what you're talking about, Joey, is what you do. So you make a lot of different things and that's okay, that's great. But how you do it, there's a bit of, you know, chaos about it or there, you know, you're, um, you, or you know exactly what you're doing and you do it through beautifully designed, um, pieces that, you know, you know exactly how you make them or, I, yeah, I don't quite know exactly how you kind of do what you do. You guys are all amazing. Um, but then it's kind of getting to the why and that's what's interesting and that's what your website can talk about it doesn't have to have all of your products it doesn't have to include everything that you do it has to talk about why you do what you do so simon sinek's example is um essentially he talks about apple as an example i know it's a it's a big brand and it, it's hard to relate to but i'm going to use it because he uses it as an example and it's really easy to understand so he says you know if you're going to sell Apple or an Apple laptop, just say, you say, all right, so what we do, we, we make computers. Cool. How we do it, we do it through beautifully designed products that are easy to use. Cool. Want to buy one? Not really. But if you start with the why, it changes the conversation. So if you say, all right, so we're going to sell you a laptop. Everything we do, we do, we challenge the status quo and we think differently. How we do it is we do it through beautifully designed products that are easy to use. And what we do, we just happen to make computers. So I think it really changes the way you think about a brand and it changes the way you think about a product. And it really is starting with why that's so important and so many businesses don't do it. And quite often, in particular in retail, it's all about the what and the rational messaging. Um, and actually, I'd love to touch on irrational versus, versus emotional because I think that's a really good segue as well. Um, but did you guys have any questions on the golden circle before I go into that? Because I think that's a really key thing to think about. So are you thinking, Robin? Yeah, yeah, because it's an interesting... Because what you've said there, I, I, I think c- kind of closely aligns with the what's your point of difference as well. Maybe I've misunderstood it, but yeah. it feels like that's because if Apple was to 
have have if their why was the same as someone else they may not have stood out as much so regardless of whether you do or don't need to be different i think all of us starting feel like we have to have that point of difference otherwise we're not going to shine through we've got to have something that makes us unique so if if you are starting and you're trying to find that why and you can't you just want to make furniture now if i just want to make furniture that sounds like a bit of a wishy-washy i don't i haven't found my why do in in that um in that scenario should you be spending a hell of a lot of time trying to find that why or just just roll with it you'll figure it out as you go Look, it depends. I think, I think quite often businesses can just roll with it and figure it out as they go, and that's fine. Um, I think the why is it helps sell your story. So if you just want to make furniture and the customers are flowing and, the, and you know, it's, it's all happening for you, great. You probably don't need to worry too much about it. But if you're really struggling and you're finding it really hard to sell furniture, then I would consider thinking about this stuff a little bit more and really thinking about, well, what am I telling people about why I'm doing what I'm doing? Um, and people really care about this. Like I said earlier, particularly after the pandemic, people really want businesses that align with their values as well. And, and emotional thinking is what makes you memorable. So um, humans ultimately think emotionally. We're not rational beings whatsoever. We're actually um, quite emotional beings. And we inherently respond to emotional messages over rational ones. So, in fact, there was a Nobel Prize winner, Danny Kahneman, he wrote a book about this sort of process of thinking fast and slow. So he specifies two types of thinking. One is system one and one is system two. And um, ultimately, system one thinking is that kind of really fast, unconscious kind of thinking that we do when we're making decisions. So it's often thought to be really emotional and quite irrational. Um, And more than 95% of our decisions are made this way. Whereas less than 5% of our decisions as human beings are made through really slow, rational kind of thinking where we think about um, processing information in slow, conscious ways. So um, thinking about system one thinking where it's really unconscious, you think about habits, habitual purchasing at the supermarket, for example, you just buy that brand because you, you always do and you don't really think about it or whatever. Whereas, you know, when, when you think about system two, that's when we say to people, oh, um, I have a rational message about my price being down or, you you know, there's this beautiful timber or it's about the rational side of it, whereas the emotional is kind of the storytelling piece. And ultimately, there's been loads and loads of studies done um, on this. But there was another, there was another, there was an author and a neurologist in 99 who said the essential difference between emotion and reason is that emotion leads to action while reason leads to conclusion. So, um, yeah, and and time and time again, it's been proven, um, particularly by the IPA effectiveness body in the UK, they kind of go through advertising effectiveness and they talk about, um, you know, how it actually, emotional advertising increases sales more than rational advertising does, as well as, you know, fame and, you know, your brand's fame and things like that as well. So hard and soft metrics when it comes to brand improvement so yeah i think like ultimately emotional storytelling is more memorable and something that's going to stick in people's minds a lot more as well so that's kind of why that why is so important more so than the what and how 
What further? To it what? could be something. It could be something as simple as, as like a furniture maker that makes only out of recycled timbers, but that moves to the forefront of their business rather than tables that have to be made out of recycled timbers. But and then definitely. that attracts an audience that are purely looking for that recycled story. But that's such a common right. one. And, and but, I, I, obviously, I'm not it's a knocking common it, one, Brian, but, it, but it definitely, but it aligns your business sort of. It tells you what your your business ethics are mm. in terms of trying to reduce your environmental footprint, reducing waste, all those kind of things, and that automatically defines you emotionally to a client. I, I think yeah, okay. I don't know. I might be wrong. I'm with you. I'm so with you. I completely agree, and I think you're onto something there. But. I, I agree too, Robin, it's quite common. So what you want, want to think about is not the rational side of that, which is we use recycled timbers for every piece of furniture we make. <coughs> it's we do not create waste in this world. Or, you know, what is it that elevates it above that? What's the mm-hmm. message that's different that's about that recycled timber? So, you know, whatever we make, we make sure that we don't have an imprint on the earth. Um, so it is about that kind of, environmental perspective if that's what your values are and that's mm. why you're doing what you're doing so what's the why behind that you know yeah, further to what you were saying robin um i think 99 percent of makers furniture makers um are inherently passionate about what they're they're doing almost everyone we've talked to started off some in some other career and didn't find it fulfilling enough and wanted to move on to some creative aspect where they're making something and they were passionate about it and if they're like me that you'd probably do the job without pay if you could afford it it's just something you really want to be doing and that's kind of the messaging I've tried to put onto my um, my website and stuff like that and I think every maker probably should do that because just like what Lani was saying it, it immediately comes in as you can read that this person is like super passionate and will just do the job they really want to be doing it it's not like they're there trying to dredging through a nine to five they actually want to be there and they're going to be engaged in any communications and i I think probably all makers want to start at that point and then from there because it's really easy to weed out the ones that aren't passionate Mm. i I think that's really spot on it's it's like Mm. when I kind of refer to my clients as like supporters of my business. Like I'll, if, if I'm getting a piece delivered, I'll leave a note for them and say, thank you for supporting a small creative Australian business mm. so that they buy into the fact that my business can't exist without them. And them being supportive allows me to do what I love. Mm. Which it's funny when because I used to do the same thing when, when I used to sell small pieces. I'd have a message similar to that. And I was always so worried that I was coming across as, not disingenuous, but sort of thank you for letting me have the life that I want. You may not have the life that you want, <laughs> but you're facilitating my happiness, so screw you. <laughs> I, I hope it never came across like that. <laughs> but people want to buy into that. Like they want to support local businesses more so now than they ever have as well so i think there's definitely that and i was talking um to brian the other night as well about the peak end rule and you just mentioned brian that you will deliver a little note to say thank you and and so on when you deliver furniture and there's something in behavioral economics called the peak end rule and this is all about experience so the experience that you give your customers is um 
that they remember they remember an experience by the peaks and the end of that experience so what i mean by peaks is not necessarily the positive but the biggest emotional moments of that experience so whether it's positive or negative and then the end of that experience so what's the so when we're looking at doing um you know consumer journeys with clients so we look at a whole overall journey that they give to their customer and we try and improve every stage of the journey the advice is not always to try and improve every single thing that you do with them and every single time that you talk to them to make it incredible but really to make sure that the there's a peak in that experience that's amazing for them but uh probably the biggest thing is the end of the experience so making sure that you've got a really nice little surprise and delight moment at the end of their experience with you and you're they're going to remember you a lot um better than they might have otherwise so i think that's really interesting as well you just reminded me of that bro can i can i just stop for a second and say i hope everyone else is finding this just gold (laughs) <laughs> this is all amazing <laughs> to anyone who's running a business this is just free amazing stuff to think about yes yeah, speaking of free so you mentioned Lani earlier how expensive it could be to get somebody to do what you're doing and run through like essentially what I've found marketing people do is essentially run through a business plan really quickly with you to work out what the hell you're, they're actually going to be employed to do and I've mm. had I've had um Two, two main businesses and had probably four different websites built over the years and um, run through this process, same kind of questions like who's your target market and all this kind of stuff. And so my question is for a small business with the amount of uh, DIY websites available, yes, you can save some money, I imagine, by going that road, but should you actually spend a bit more talk to someone like yourself maybe less qualified probably um (laughs) and actually because and then and then after that like how much should a small business spend because it always going to come down to how much the income is obviously it's very specific but i mean is there a guide i mean because it's these are massive questions and marketing costs can just skyrocket Mm, definitely um Yes, there are definitely guides around marketing spend. I think uh, if you have any kind of design bone in your body, definitely DIY. Because I think, particularly in furniture, there's not always a huge profit margin. So there's not always a lot of money to play with from a marketing perspective. But I think when you think about marketing driving your business, it's and, and you can f- see the return on the investment, then it's definitely going to help you to grow that. Um, the kind of rule of thumb from a marketing perspective is that businesses should spend between 10 and 20% of their uh, turnover on marketing. Um, so it's it's quite a big chunk when you think about it. And I had this conversation with a small business the other day, actually, and they kind of just looked at me and went, whoa, <laughs> we're currently spending 2%. And I was like, okay. Um and they're kind of asking me advice on how to get, you know, more business. I'm like, well, marketing helps you to get business. So mm. you need to spend money to make money sometimes. Um, but it depends on whether you've even got that money to start with. And yep. I think sometimes a lot of furniture makers are just trying to make ends meet. So it's mm-hmm. not always possible. Um, so you've really got to consider like what you can actually afford to invest in your business. But yeah, if you 
cannot design a website for the life of you, I would definitely invest in that because it needs to look aesthetically good. Otherwise, no one's going to bother. But if you don't need a website, great, use Instagram or a free platform. Mm -hmm. You know, not everyone needs a website these days. I think we were talking about this the other week, were we? We were saying that websites are becoming less and less useful. Like, yeah, they might be a small folio of Mm. your work, but it can literally be five pages of a website as opposed to mine that probably has a hundred pages on it and every time I want to update it or if I want to change the look of it I've got to go through those hundred pages yes. so yeah I think I think the DIY yeah. websites are fine so long as so long as you've got some some good photography is probably more important mm. mm-hmm. good photography yeah. and good branding rather than mm. like what we a just hugely deep website yeah I agree so when you're Definitely. saying spend Lanny where would you where would you recommend people spend is it in adverts is it in paying a consultant or where like if you're a small business and you've got say two thousand dollars or something that you want to assign to a marketing budget where Mm. where would you put it it depends where you're at in your journey as a business so if you've already got a logo set up and you've already got your branding and you're quite happy with that then obviously you don't need to spend there but that's probably a first is just making sure that you've got great branding because that's really important Um, and really simple branding. So a lot of logos these days have simplified over time as well because we look at our phones and things are so small. They need to be really, really simple kind of logos these days. Um, But ultimately, yeah, I mean, it depends. Yeah, like I said, where you're at in your journey. So if you're all established with your brand, that's great. And you've got a website, amazing. Then, yeah, think about chipping in a little bit of money from a, a social media spend or um, Google search spend or, you know, AdWords or whatever. I think it's, it's it, you know, getting to the top of that search term from a website's perspective is really important. But again, knowing your audience is also important for this because if you have an audience of, and I know I mentioned think about attitudes, not always demographics, but if you do think that your audience are younger, they're probably not going to be necessarily always searching online from a Google perspective, it might be more that they're in Instagram searching for inspiration. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, linking yourself to other businesses is really important and making partnerships and getting your name out there that way is really important as opposed to necessarily doing paid spend. Um, and then stories are really important. TikTok's huge, obviously, with, you know, um, a lot of younger people, but it's also becoming bigger with older people now as well. So um, that's a really good platform at the moment, and it's only growing as well. My sister is obsessed with it, and she's 40. So <laughs> Brian will tell you all about that. Um yeah, and so it, it does. It depends on your journey and it depends on your audience in terms of how you're going to spend that in terms of media or marketing dollars. But I think definitely just make sure that you set up really well. Great brand, maybe a basic website at minimum, just even if it's a landing page with contact details at worst, just so that when people are searching for you, they can find you. I think the only issue with that, though, is that your SEO is going to be really crap. Yeah. So search engine optimization um, and that just means that you'll be ranked really low and people won't find you so I guess when you do think about websites you need to think about that as well and I don't think websites are null and void I think um, they are phasing out slightly because people are looking elsewhere but I think people are definitely still searching for businesses online so 
it's um it's definitely something I wouldn't ignore. I would probably if if but you it, could, it could literally to have be one. like a it could literally be like a Shopify page or something rather than rather than being a full website. Definitely. Yeah, do the basic level that you need to, I think. Yeah. I think it legitimizes you. Um, yeah. Um, Jamie, my wife, the other day was saying, I can't remember, one of her clients or, or the organizations that she works with emailed her from a Gmail um, account. And she said, how, how can this company have a Gmail account? And today when it's so easy to get a domain, all you're saying when you get a, a landing site is, I value what I do. So I've made yeah. minimum effort and <laughs> put in minimum costs into to uh, yeah. promoting that. I must say the gmail.com at the end looks yep. that looks it just looks so unprofessional. When when you could have had it for free up until yeah. three days ago? Yeah. Oh right, oh, really? <laughs> Bastards started charging for it. Right. <laughs> Six dollars a month to have a uh, to have your email hosted through Gmail now. Again, it's like $6 a month, you know, it's going to cost me 70 bucks a year versus emailing a client at gmail.com and them going, who is this? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a poor look. I use the business suites. I've been paying for it for a while. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Um, I just want to go back though to the peak end rule and just considering, so I know we're talking about furniture makers not necessarily having a huge amount of money to invest in marketing, but word of mouth is the strongest marketing channel you will ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, and word of mouth by means of customers it, it, explaining that to others, but also sharing it on their social media as well. So that's where that kind of end experience or that peak experience is really important so that people want to share their experience with others. Um in a good way, not a bad way about you as well. That's really important. Word of mouth is your strongest channel. Yeah, I, I'm, um, Brian might have an idea on this as well. Um, I think at first for a new business, you obviously don't have any word of mouth. You need to have some marketing. You need to put yourself out. And over the years, I've found um, I'm doing less and less marketing and more and more repeat customers and word of mouth customers and that is probably not a a good business model for a business who is looking for year on year growth um, like your cliche larger business but I, I feel that most furniture makers aren't looking just to exponentially grow their business they're trying to grow it to the point which is sustainable to a level where they are comfortable with in their life and and they want it to plateau which most businesses um when i've spoken to business advisors they just look at you like you're an imbecile like you that doesn't compute (laughs) because they they, yeah they don't have any um there's no systems for plateau it's all got to be growth um and so yeah brian how do you find being in the business for as long i do i do agree with you like i've definitely spent less on marketing in the second five years to the first five years Mm -hmm. and i caught myself on that and i'm like right well i've got to do something so i was thinking you know i want to i want to go higher end and i want to tap into i don't have a good network with interior designers Mm -hmm. i've got an okay one with architects but i was like how do I actually reach them? And yeah, you can do it analytics and people that are interested in design and stuff, but usually people that are interested in design don't have money. 
Like <laughs> yeah, they right. tend to be design students, so I'm spending all my mar- money to target design students. So I was like, right, I'll spend two. I think I spent two and a half grand or three grand, um, making brochures. Yep. So nice A5 hardbacked booklets that I posted out to. 140 or 150 different architects and interior designers nice with a handwritten note like it took a fucking long time <laughs> but handwritten note and the postage costs were huge printing costs were huge but I definitely did get a good return on jobs out of it mm-hmm. um, and they're identifiable I would have I had architects like directors of large firms because I would always address it either to if I knew it was a large firm, I would sort of go to the um, the person that managed the library. Like, you can sort of work out it's usually an interior designer. If it's a smaller firm, like a sort of an eight to ten person practice, like I used to work at, always always uh, address it to the director. Right. Um, and I got emails directly back from directors saying, oh, thanks for sending it through, you know, definitely keep you in mind on future projects. And then you've got your sort of your little hook mm-hmm. as opposed to, if I just email them directly, like no. I'm not going to get a reply. No. But it's just the fact that I've taken the time to give them something physical. It's then going to end up in a trade library or something like that. Um, and it's not just pissing the money away to Google or Facebook. Mm. It's mm. one of the things. But I don't know. It doesn't work for everyone, I'm sure. But that, it worked. It worked for me. I think it was worth it. It, it worked for me when I was a builder. I did the same thing. It's one of the things, mm. Joey, that you said many many episodes ago and I, it stuck with me is it, I, I think we were talking about we might have been talking about setting up an account or or, or trying to get materials or something and you said a, a lot of people today won't just pick up the phone and call you know because that's too much effort for a lot of people mm. so I guess if you are ever doing something like that what you're talking about Brian if what you're doing is easy it's probably not going to work or if it costs nothing, it's not going to work. Mm. Yes, right. Yeah, put some effort into yeah. it. And I think by even just making sure you know who the directors are, I think that was really, you know, people understand that you've taken that time. You've almost yeah. identified <clears throat> your influencers in a way. Like you've done an influencer strategy, <laughs> what we influencer right. campaign where you've gone, right, who are the influencers? Who, who's going to get me lots of business, not just a one-off sale? I think that's really clever. Yeah. yeah. You would, I, cool. you, oh, you go, Joe. <laughs> I had a, a funny little. <coughs> be careful though, because um, I had planned. I was trying back when I was heavy into YouTube, and I wanted to get a, a full-time sponsor. And I found this New Zealand company that I thought would be a great fit. Found out who the director was online, did some research, and I was like, right, I'll call and leave a message. Blah 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 blah. So I immediately get put straight through to the director. He's just like, yep, what do you want? <laughs> and, I, I, and I was just like... Pitch it. Yeah, it, it was Pitch just it crickets on the end of the phone. I was like... Uh, 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 and, and he's like, you're wasting my time. Bang, hangs up the phone. <laughs> well, that was it. Like, you know, one and only chance. So be prepared to actually say what you need to say as well because you could that's, lose it. That's awful. That's a great point, Joey. Um, that's another thing we talk about in marketing is have your elevator pitch prepared. Yes. So, you know, like if, for anyone that doesn't know what that means, it's like if you're in an elevator with someone, how would you sell them your business in the 
10 seconds that you've got really and it's like mm. what is it about you that's interesting and different that you can say in 10 seconds yes. um, but yeah having that elevator pitch for fans really important yeah that, that was a big wake up call for me I was like well I'm ne- never going to do that again so. <laughs> uh, Lonnie you were mentioning earlier about the um, the peak and the end so have you ever had and, I, and, I'm, and I'm looking for ideas for people have you ever had any really memorable with your clients any memorable ending strategies I don't know if that's the right term or something that you could relate to what we do um probably one of the most simple forms that I can think of is when you deliver a product and it's the tone of voice that you take so um the tone of voice, how relatable that is, but also if you give a little gift. So, for example, I know a lot of makeup brands send, or skincare, they'll send you a little box and it'll be like, hi, babe, how's it going? And, like, it's a really casual conversation. Yeah, I, I they know their audience. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get it all the time. Um, and they might send you, like, a door beauty sends you a Tim Tam, little Tim Tam, and a lot of different samples. Mecca sends you lots of samples. Um, Frank Body uses very, you know... Um, risque kind of uh, tone of voice and language you know they'll have Mm. a coffee scrub and be like I'm going to get you naked later and you know things like that and it's just like that's memorable stuff because it's emotional Mm. and um, and so I think it is like what's that little gift at the end so for example I know Brian's done a lot of little cheese boards for clients when they order a big piece of furniture and it's just a tiny little thing it's you know a little bit of effort for him to do but it's worth it because it's a little surprise and delight at the end of it to be like here and I've also made you this um, and it's you know a nice little memento for them to have as well so I think that little gift at the end or you know something at the end is always a really nice kind of little surprise and delight moment yeah little gift mm. is good I, I have a little um, <clears throat> eco pack pencil pen ruler thing I give to the clients wrapped up in the bill <laughs> and, um, <laughs> love it and um, <laughs> You know, you you mentioned just before, Lani, about um, delivering the product. And obviously you meant, like, I, I think what you were meaning is actually when it gets posted, not actually physically handing it over, but 99% yeah. of the times we're physically taking the the piece of the furniture. And, and most of the time clients have seen at least progress pictures of what you've done or maybe even some kind of finished pictures. And But there's nothing like seeing it in person. And I still, to this day, and I've talked about it before, this massive imposter syndrome where it's not good enough, they're going to spot something that's not quite good enough, and you're just sweating beads, and it's very difficult to be upbeat and positive when you think you're you're about to, like, you know, they're going to say, I hate it. Because you know they're not going to, and no one's done that. But um, it's, it's very, I think for new furniture makers especially or any makers who are making a a handmade product you've got to stand behind your product uh, or what it it is and be Mm. proud of it even though you're shitting yourself that (laughs) they kind of hate what you've made and it's really it's a tough thing to learn because I'm still still struggle with it every time I deliver something so when up in when I was up in Townsville, um, Laura McCusker sends a piece to a client up there, and it was broken, and she asked mm. me to fix it, right? And then I delivered it to the clients, 
And you know how different the experience was when I was delivering a piece that I just fixed. It wasn't mine. If they didn't like it, I didn't care. It was so nice. It was relaxed. I could just hand it over. And from their perspective, I'm sure they saw the confidence in me and thought, we're going to get this guy to work for us next time because he's, he's solid. He's got no fear. So, yeah, something to think about. Mm. It's so true, isn't it? Confidence eludes that confidence in the customer as well. But like, I mean, of all people, like strategists like myself are known to have imposter syndrome as well. So I can completely relate to that. You know, what if people don't understand or what if they don't believe me or whatever. Um, But I think it's a really great point. And confidence is so important to help that client sell it but you can't control what you can't control either and if you've never had those bad experiences in the past you can't kind of expect to have them in the future either so yeah it's a tricky one isn't it it's how do you do coffee you know get yourself really buzzed (laughs) before you deliver something and you see you're bouncing off the walls um (laughs) it is hard um i did i remember i used to get very nervous about it for the same reasons joey you'd be thinking god maybe the Maybe they'll look at the back of that drawer and see that, you know, there's, it's not grand match or so, just something <laughs> stupid. Um, but I don't know. Now I think I've reached the point where I'm excited to deliver pieces. Mm. Like I'm proud of the finished result. I've communicated to the client uh, from the sketch process. You know, they've engaged with that part. I've shown them um, on social media. I've shown them the making of it. And then this is just the completion of that story. And if they've been happy all the way through there, they've been happy with the design, I've shown them all the effort and the ways in which I've gone to making the piece, that the delivery should just be the icing on the cake mm-hmm. for them. And that should be the, that's the easiest bit really. Well, unless you're going up four flights of stairs in hardware lane and having to cut apart a steel table mm-hmm. because <laughs> the client couldn't measure a doorway, just as a hypothetical I wasn't situation. Going to it never happened. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think, I think Lani's spot on when she says about the tone of it, mm. like just to sound excited to be delivering the piece, I think is a really important thing. Um, rather than sounding tired and, mm. you know, exhausted, which you might well be, but just, yeah, like I said, get a few coffees into you and, and really perk yourself up for what should be the exciting part of the Optimistic, of the not piece. pessimistic. Optimistic, <laughs> not pessimistic, yeah. Just. Just to add to that, not just about delivering furniture and confidence, but around tone, um, that's a huge part of brand. So brand isn't always just a logo. Brand is your tone of voice and how you talk as a brand. It's music. Like music can be a huge indicator of a brand and like a great memorability thing. So, you know, music on a podcast or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it, it triggers memories and they're what we call brand attributes and all of those attributes build up a brand not just a logo so it could even be a character or like god forbid or it could be you you know you're your brand as well so Mm. yeah just keeping that in mind as well that a brand's not just a a logo it's the whole story behind it and i think tone of voice is something that's really underutilized in the furniture industry i think it could be used more as you know what's your tone of voice is it quirky is it funny is it different is it um sharp is it witty is it serious you know just asking yourself that i think question, that's I something think that you really really, cool. you really um got me to think about lani was probably my first five years of my business i referred to my like when i was talking about my business and social we. media i referred to it in in the third person yeah, yeah always third person it's like mm. we yeah. mm. 
I'm mm. just one person in there most of the time, but yeah, it's still we. A lot of people do and that. And then um, I think it is it is just the imposter syndrome kicking in, mm-hmm. and then you reach a point where you're like, well, hang on. Yeah, it's just me. I am my brand, so why don't I just be me? Yep. And mm. it can be, like, I, although I try to target sort of mid to high end clients, I find that I'm not getting many of them through Instagram anyway. They might come to my Instagram once they've commissioned me for the piece. Mm-hmm. But I find that keeping a more informal tone was just a better reflection of me trying to have an Instagram feed that was maybe 90% of photos in my workshop and 10% of you know beautiful, glossy photos, as opposed to five years before that, I was like, oh no, these have to be gallery gallery grade you know white background everything's got to be perfect and then i reached a point where i was like it's just not being authentic to who i am that's exactly why Mm. like this year i think it is i changed all my branding um and not i'm using my name as my company name it's not because got bad advice early on to say never use your name and then (laughs) and then actually in the business we're into that's what you want you want your name to be associated with all the things you're associated with exactly why i changed mm. mine it, yeah. it also just it um it uh stops you from being tied down to something in particular you know if you want to branch off king post mm. metal work you know mm. you can you can do that mm. we talked about that for you didn't we brian and i think now like so many people know sawdust bureau it's almost detrimental to change it um but I, I remember talking to you about it years ago, being like, "Why don't you just be Brian Cush? Yeah. Like, you design yeah. it, you, you make it, just drop it, you know." Yeah, um, but I think now it's almost like it's not too late. But I think you know it could be detrimental because people might talk about Sawdust Bureau and it's changed. But yeah, that's what I'm yeah. having that trouble, like trying to actually get rid of one yeah. brand, and I'm still I've got I've got bits and pieces on my website. I've got and 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 I'm dealing with older clients who don't know who what this branding is and so there's this whole transition period which I hope will be over and done with by the end of the year but it certainly is not cheap either changing all the branding no. it actually costs money um, even though we don't have big signage and stuff um, you still have got to do new artwork you've got to there's lots of things where you've just spent time and effort and eventually the branding gets changed but it's not uh, not that easy it's a process. It takes years. I think um, Vic Rhodes took about three years to change their brand from memory. Like it, it can take years to transition. Like mm. just because they had all their signs on road, you know, road signs and things like that. But um, it it does cost money. I think the key though, the biggest thing um, is as part of that is just to be really authentic and honest always in everything that you do and you know live your values unapologetically and be okay with that because customers see through you and they're not stupid people know exactly what you're talking about what you know when you're honest when you're not and i think really just being authentic and honest is what people value these days from brands um and they want them to act with responsibility so yeah that's probably a key thing to think about too awesome righto we have exactly five minutes before we've got to shut this thing down is there anything anyone else wants to talk about lonnie are there any other uh, gems that you want to drop on us before we close up? Um, look, I think the biggest thing is really um, what I was just talking about around being honest and authentic. I think one thing that I found, I did a talk recently um, 
at a summit and I had to look into the effects of the pandemic and how everyone's feeling and we're pretty much collectively traumatised um, around the world and if we say we're not, we're lying um, or we're in denial but ultimately um, we need to act with empathy uh, as brands so whenever we're working with people we need to make sure that we're being really empathetic we also need to make them feel safe and what I mean by that is um, kind of making them feel safe both emotionally and physically Um, and then we also need to think about um, uh, kind of building trust and building trust through that authenticity they're kind of the three things that I kind of thought about Um, and building trust through things like values so environmental issues are one of the biggest things that people care about at the moment in the world so um, particularly younger people but I think overall that's like one of the biggest things that comes out for people so yeah I think as long as you're authentic in your brand in everything that you're doing um, to build that trust I think customers will want to buy into that and they'll see that and they'll want to be part of it Mm. so yeah don't don't be afraid to be you as the brand so I think that's awesome Joey that you've done that and Robin, you did it too. Yeah, so and everyone referring yeah. to ourselves as we, man, yep. that's a common Stop. thing. Yeah. That is a common thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brian has been we quite a few times, so it's confusing, isn't it? Like, you know, mm. you've quite often got people working with you and then, you know, mm. quite often you don't, so it's a bit tricky. Mm. You know, if you said I, it might not make sense for you, I well, think. Well, often I feel like you say it because mm. you want to seem like you're legitimate to the client, especially... For me, when it's a bigger client, and they're thinking by by what they see online, and then they expect that there's you know ten staff or something. The team. The team, and so then you <laughs> kind of start saying "we" to make yourself uh, feel feel like you're putting the right message across, but actually, it probably is the opposite. It's detrimental yeah. because they know that yeah. if it was a bigger company, that you know a lot of the job is going to be done by somebody mm. else other than you. The face of your business and yeah. the one who's designed it and the one who's who's um yeah i've had that yeah, before actually I've had, it's a hard thing i've had someone say oh, are you are you gonna do it or someone else <laughs> and so then you've got to <laughs> make that split decision where um no actually i will i will be the one that's doing the work oh that's okay then because we don't want someone else to do it and so there's you have to understand that when you're getting started that people do sometimes want that very unique one-of-a-kind thing they don't want just to be passed off and go into a production line Mm. Mm. yeah right on yeah and that's probably why they're buying into your brand Mm -hmm. for that reason or might be one of the reasons Mm. yeah all right Lani well thanks so much Uh, I didn't have any expectations for the show but I feel like we have certainly met them and more I hope everyone listening has got a lot out of this I think obviously this has been more aimed at our, our business owner listeners out there um yeah some some real gold so thank you for coming on yeah thank you so much for having me it's been great chatting with you guys yeah and it's good to to finally have a family member on the show <laughs> we uh we uh we need to do that joey um we need to get our i'll bring my seven year old on i'll better hot on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> give me the real truth yeah cool yeah, thanks right. for coming on and just just uh, send robin the invoice that'd be great line. yeah shit. okay cool yeah. no worries <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right everyone thanks again take care and we'll see you in the next show thanks guys see ya bye see you later bye, bye.